Hi, my name is Matthew Wilson, and uh, this is the first video on a little mini-series that's going to be on the millennium uh, that we find in Revelation 20. And the purpose of this is to really just give an introduction to the different views that are held on the millennium. And this can kind of be watched alongside of the series uh, Pastor Chuck is doing on on Revelation and Daniel. Uh, this will kind of supplement that. But before we actually get into uh, the passage itself and the different views that are held on it, I want to discuss the different genres that are included in Revelation and kind of uh, how different people approach uh, those genres. And then I want to talk about the different interpretive, the major different interpretive approaches to Revelation. Um, so that's what this specific uh, video will be focusing on. And then the next videos to come, I want to talk about premillennialism by itself and then amillennialism and postmillennialism. I'll do a video on each of those, and those should probably be a little bit shorter than this one. Uh, yeah, so before we before we begin, oh, also, in, in those videos, I will give, like, rebuttals to each of the points I'm making. Uh, so, like, say I give a point on premillennialism, or explain one of the strengths of that view, then I'll give a rebuttal from, like, the amillennial perspective and postmillennial, and that goes for all of the videos, or all of all of the views that I'm going to do. Also, uh, before we begin, I, I want to share a quick story that was kind of my first touch with the millennium, uh, and it, it happened when I was in in class. It was one of my first classes of seminary, and a, a student asked me. I think it was his last year in seminary at least in the MDiv program, and he asked me, what is your view on the millennium? What is your view on the millennium? And I remember in my mind, I was like, man, I don't want to look like an idiot, but I had no idea what he was talking about. I didn't know what the millennium was. Uh, so I was like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess whatever view interprets the passage more literally. Like, I, I'm pretty sure those were like near my exact words. But it was obvious that I had no idea what he was talking about. And he was nice about it. He, he was just like, oh, okay. But uh, another student actually in the class, like, overheard uh, what he asked me and what I said. And he just tore me apart. He was, like, uh, saying something along the lines of, like, anybody who interprets the book of Revelation in any kind of literal manner is in a, a moron, basically. And... I, I kept quiet because I had no idea what I was talking about and kind of just, like, let that go. But um, in any case, the point I want to make from, from that story is that not everyone's familiar with the debate revolving around the millennium, uh, yeah, revolving around the millennium passage that we find in Revelation 20. Uh, so, yeah, this series, I really want to familiarize you with these views, Um and I want to show you that there are a lot of practical implications depending on the view that you hold to. And I want to show you that the view that you hold really reveals a lot about how you understand a lot of different passages in the Bible and Revelation really as a whole. It doesn't necessarily say, uh, yeah, it doesn't necessarily say, uh, 
something about you in the sense that everyone who holds the post-millennialism or who holds the amillennialism will interpret X passage a certain way, but generally speaking, people who hold to different views interpret different parts of the Bible in a certain way. So it is, I think it's really helpful to see that. And it also shows that this, this issue is not, it's, it's definitely secondary. Like it's not on the level of uh, the gospel, but at the same time, it's not necessarily so that we can just shove under the rug uh, because the view that you hold generally does reveal a lot of the way that you interpret a lot of different parts of the Bible. So it's probably wise to go to a church where you agree with them with their view, but it's not. I, I don't think it's necessary, but it probably would be wise because there will be rub as the pastor is preaching through different different passages that relate to eschatology, which is the study of last things. Um, so one more thing that I want to mention before we start digging in is that faithful Christians throughout history history have have disagreed on this topic. Um, there's not really like uh, a super simple text that we can go to that just proves one side or proves another. I mean, I would argue that it's Revelation 20 that that. Uh, really does prove one of the positions but we'll get into that as we go but revelation as a whole the book as a whole has had so much disagreement or there's been so much disagreement on how to interpret it um, and we'll get into that in this lecture really uh, but with that said um, like I said before the way that someone interprets this passage it does reveal a lot about how they interpret Revelation, how they interpret other passages in the Bible, and how uh, prophecy is fulfilled uh, in the New Testament from the Old Testament, replacement theology, things things like that. So it is it is an important thing. It's an important topic. But so like in this lecture, as I said before, we're going to look at genre, the genre of Revelation. We're going to look at. Uh, the different interpretive approaches to Revelation. Then I'm going to give a brief introduction to the millennium and just give basically one statement, uh, summaries of each of the views, and then the next lectures we'll look at the views individually. And basically what I think to be the strongest arguments for each of them. And then I'll give rebuttals to them, to each of the views and each of the points really within those views so the the first thing I want to talk about is genre. So Revelation, it's generally understood to contain three genres, epistle, prophecy, and apocalypse. So the reason why I'm even mentioning this is because the way one sees the primary genre of Revelation will have a direct effect on how one understands a lot of Revelation. And a major reason why there are different approaches to Revelation is due to what one assumes is the predominant genre of Revelation. So I want to give you a brief introduction to this. And and we all know what genre is naturally, I think. Like, we read poetry or songs differently than we read uh, a narrative, and we read stories differently than the way that we read a speech. Uh, 
we read a letter from a loved one different, differently than we would probably read a newspaper, right? Or the newspaper. So we have some understanding of what genre is. So I just want to look at uh, each of these genres that are involved in Revelation individually. Very briefly, though. Very briefly. Uh, so epistle, it simply means a letter. Uh, the elements of a letter or epistle are clear from Revelation 1, 4 to 6, 1, 11, and 22, 21, chapter 22, verse 21. And you could also argue that uh, the uh, direct address addresses to the, to the churches uh, in Revelation 2 and 3 um, show ele- elements of a letter. Uh, G.K. Beale he is someone who has done a ton of study on on Revelation, and he's written what I think is considered to be uh, the best commentary on Revelation at this time. At least, I guess, from a scholarly perspective, I'm not I'm not certain on that, but it's 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 highly highly ranked right now. And this guy, he's an amillennialist, but he writes in his commentary that the purpose of the epistolatory genre, quote, epistolatory genre elsewhere in the New Testament is to address problems that have arisen in the various churches, end quote. So if Revelation shares this element, uh, then the significance, like it shares the element of addressing problems uh, that have arisen in various churches, then the significance of the genre is to highlight the purpose of addressing contemporary problems, quote, among the seven churches by appealing to the hearers, present and future, share in Christ's blessings, end quote. So it's important to note here that Beale, he understands uh, this genre of epistle to apply to all of Revelation. So this supports the idea that chapters 4 to 21 are not exclusively future-oriented. Uh, and this will differ from uh, the view that sees the book is primarily prophetic. Uh, anyways, on the other on the other hand, Thomas, uh, this guy uh, authors a commentary from the perspective of, of um, he sees the book as primarily prophetic and he reads it primarily in a futuristic way. Uh, and he's a premillennialist, but he's his commentary I think is considered to be one of the best from that perspective. Uh, He's the commentary that the Master's Seminary requires of their students to buy, I think, as they go through the book of Revelation. Um, he suggests that this is, like, Beale's view of holding to uh, letter as being one of the primary primary uh, genres. He thinks that that's overreaching, quote, because so much of the book is clearly of another character that this hardly suffices as an overall category, end quote. In either case, the epistolatory genre is likely significant because it, suggest, it suggests that one of the purposes is to motivate the readers towards obedience in light of what is what is being, of what is being written. Uh, we see this in the specific letters to the churches, right, in chapters 2 to 3. But now let's look at the other genres, and these are prophecy and apocalyptic. Um, so Revelation, it indicates that it's a prophecy. It, it self-proclaims that it's a 
prophecy in, in chapter 1, verse 3, in 10, chapter 10, verse 11, in chapter 22, verses 6 to 7, and chapter 22, verses 10, or verse 10. Um, Revelation is the only book in the New Testament that is prophetic, like, like the Old Testament prophecies. The prophetic genre is significant because it tells the reader that this is a summons to live in light of what is prophesied. And this is explicitly drawn out from verse 1 to 3, or chapter 1, verse 3, where it said that the one who reads, hears, and heeds the words of this prophecy is blessed. Uh, and it's also significant as it speaks to what is to come in the future. It's a prophecy about what is to come. Um, obviously, not everyone will necessarily agree with that, and we'll get into that, but uh, that is definitely one of the aspects of the prophetic genre. Um, it should also be noted here that Revelation it pulls heavily from the Old Testament. It relies very heavily on the Old Testament so it must be read in in context or in light of the passages that it regularly alludes to. Um, the last genre, apocalyptic, uh, in the very first verse, uh, it's written that it's the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And Beale, he argues that it is best to view Revelation in an apocalyptic prophetic style, uh, because he believes that the apocalyptic, that apocalyptic, the genre of apocalypse is an intensification of prophecy. He says that the two genres should not be seen as too different, um, but a primary distinction between them is that the apocalyptic genre contains, or quote, contains a heightening and more intense clustering of literary and thematic traits found in prophecy, end quote. Uh, Thomas, right, the other commentator who holds to a different approach, different position, he would disagree with this and argue that Revelation is primarily prophetic with characteristics from the apocalyptic literature rather than mingling the genres. Uh, but in any case, this intensification of prophecy can be seen in the Old Testament in Daniel, Zechariah, and Ezekiel, primarily. Um, one of the main characteristics of the apocalyptic genre that we should be aware of as we're reading Revelation is that it's highly, highly symbolic. It's filled with visions, and it communicates through symbolism. And this is significant because it makes... Uh, interpreting the book in light of this genre difficult at times. And this is, honestly, I think this is where so much of the disagreement comes from, uh, is, is because of this apocalyptic, uh, tinge or this apocalyptic genre, really, um, and how much of that should be taken into account. Uh, an interesting and debated example of this and the significance of it is found in uh, Revelation 20. And this is this is really, this is our passage. But just to give you like a little taste, um, there are two resurrections that are mentioned. Uh, Tom Schreiner, he's a really good NT scholar, and he's a professor at Southern Seminary. Uh, and he, he's a conservative scholar too, really, really faithful guy. Um, he says... 
or actually he, he quotes someone, N.T. Wright, who is a little bit more radical as a scholar, but he, who says that uh, the term for resurrection, it always refers to a physical resurrection in the New Testament, except in this case, except in the case of Revelation 20. And Schreiner, he leans heavily towards this understanding. Um, and the most fascinating part about this so, so the word for resurrection, anyway, it it always means physical resurrection as we see it in the New Testament, except in this case, in these guys' opinions. Um, and and the reason why he thinks this, Schreiner thinks this, quote, is because we're dealing with apocalyptic literature, end quote. So it, it's just interesting to see how this genre really has an effect on how one interprets the passage that we're going to be looking at. It's really, it's, it's fascinating. Anyways, he suggests that we have to be careful to avoid over-literalizing a term uh, when it is used in the context of Revelation, and more generally, the apocalyptic genre, because of the way language is used within that genre. So basically, language plays... Uh, the rules for grammar, the rules for language are different within the apocalyptic genre. And, and to understand like where they're coming from, you'd have to read uh, other, other uh, literary writing or other writings really uh, that fall into the category of the apocalyptic genre that are not in the Bible. I, I haven't done this before. Uh, but those who have written really good commentaries on Revelation have done this, and people who have done this still fall into different camps on the primary genre uh, or how the genre of Revelation should be understood. So I just want to give a quick recap. We've seen that the genre of Revelation includes epistle, uh, prophecy, and apocalypse, and then depending on what one sees as the primary genre of this book affects how one uh, approaches the book in an interpretive way. Uh, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. So generally speaking, uh, an individual who holds to the book of Revelation as being primarily prophetic will land as a premillennial and uh, individuals who hold to postmillennialism or amillennialism will likely view the book as primarily or at least mixed right of prophetic apocalyptic and epistle they wouldn't necessarily see prophecy as the 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 primary genre okay so those are the genres but now i want to look at the different interpretive approaches and then We'll we'll get into the millennium very briefly, and then in the, the like this is really an introduction to being able to to play with the ideas that I'm going to uh, present to you in the in the uh, specific interpretations of the millennium. So my video cut off, and I had no idea, so I just went through uh, the whole rest of this this video and now I got to redo it. Um, but we're on interpretive approaches, right? I just did genres. Um, 
so there are generally four, or generally speaking, there are four different main interpretive approaches. The preterist, historicist, idealist, and futurist. It's important to note before we get into this that individuals generally don't fall completely into uh, into one camp. They are generally a mix. So an individual could be a futurist with a tinge of idealist or an idealist with some futurist and some historicist. Uh, so that's just important to keep in mind that we aren't all just one complete uh, and we don't just take one interpretive approach, generally speaking. I think some might, but um, with that said, let's briefly look at the the approaches. So the first is the preterist. Um, this approach understands that most of Revelation, most of the visions in Revelation more specifically, have already occurred during the first century uh, or the early years of the Christian church. Most view... Um, I think actually most view that that all the events, if not or most, if not most of the events, have occurred by 70 A.D. with with the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, but one of the difficulties with this view is that uh, there is so much prophetic language that seems to be speaking of things that are coming in the far, far future in Revelation. So, like, with the second coming of Christ, uh, that seems to be clearly, clearly future. I don't know exactly how they fit that in with their framework, though they probably do. And some might leave room open for that specifically being future. But um, that's a real difficulty for this view. Uh, the next approach would be the historicist approach. And this approach... Uh, understands the order of the visions in Revelation uh, from chapters 4 to 20 uh, to symbolize a chronological order of historical events that uh, occur over the entire period, like the entire church age, really, from the apostolic church, the beginning of the church, to the return of Christ and the new heavens, the new earth, um, so yeah, this is straightforward. The view has uh, it has some difficulties though with trying to place uh, events or visions that are occurring in Revelation throughout church history. There's like a lot of disagreement on that. Um, but I also I, I believe that preterists they generally fall into the category of postmillennialists or amillennialists. I don't think that many premillennialists would fall into this category. Uh, and I think the preterist or historicist would leave some room open for things to to keep on occurring in the future. It just depends on on what that would be. There's there's got to be debate on that. The next interpretive approach is the futurist approach, which typ it typically views the visions uh, in Revelation chapters four to twenty as representing a view, uh, events that are still in the future from our day today. So futurists, they generally read Revelation the more literal and uh and yeah, they 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 read it in a more literal and chronological way. Uh what what when I say literal, I don't mean that they don't take symbolism into account. Uh they they take symbolism into account, but 
they tend to interpret words and phrases in a literal way unless if the text explicitly demands or strongly implicitly demands that it not be taken in that way. So when a number comes up, they tend to take it as meaning a literal number rather than symbolic. That That's just one example. But they, they view the genre generally as primary, primarily prophetic, um, and futurists are often premillennialists. The last interpretive approach is the idealist approach, and this uh, this approach basically interprets Revelation in a timeless way uh, that sees Revelation as depicting the struggle between Christ along with his church against Satan and his evil forces and in every age, so throughout the entire church. So Revelation, uh, it's just a timeless way of describing the reality of this struggle between good and evil. Um, that's how they understand it. So in this approach, Revelation does not revert, it doesn't refer to specific events in history or that will occur in the future. Um, and this approach, Revelation is, uh, it understands Revelation as highly, highly symbolic, like almost like everything is symbolic, really. Now, everybody wouldn't say that, but a lot is symbolic. And it generally views the, the genre as primarily apocalyptic. Uh, also, in this, in this section, I just want to briefly mention that, um, or briefly introduce you to this idea called recapitulation. Because idealists see a lot of recapitulation occurring throughout the book of Revelation. And the way that I understand recapitulation is basically... Uh, a repeating or a retelling of a certain event in a different way or with additional or less details. Um, so in Revelation, you see certain certain instances of events that look very similar to other events, just with uh, inter- intensification of language or one one detail added on, um, and. Certain people will take this retelling of this event as describing an event that was already mentioned earlier on in the book of Revelation. And this also leaves room open for the possibility that an event uh, that is mentioned later on or a vision that is seen later on, uh, structurally put later on in the book of Revelation, is can have temporally occurred before an event that is placed before it, um, at least in the order of visions. So like the the phrase, and he saw, or not and he saw, sorry, and I saw, and I saw, you see that throughout the book, doesn't necessarily mean that and, and then I saw, it just means and I saw, and I saw this, and I saw this, but it doesn't necessarily mean um, a chronological even, or especially a temporal transition from one vision to the next. It just means, and I saw this, and I saw this. I might have seen this before that, I might have seen this before that, or after that, but I saw this, that that kind of thing. It's really inter- it's interesting, um, and it's important to know that people see this throughout the book. I think I think everyone probably sees some amount of this, but there's a lot of debate as to where this is occurring and when. Uh, 
but this this will be important as we move on to look at uh, the other the other uh, as we look at the interpretations of of the millennium passage itself. Um, so yeah, these are the main interpretive approaches. Remember, people don't always fall into just one camp; they're generally a mix. So I want to look briefly at our passage and just give you the, the most basic overview of the different positions. So our passage is Revelation 20, uh, verses 1 to 8. Um, and also, when I present those uh, other, once I present the interpretations of Revelation, I'm going to give rebuttals to each of the points from the other position. I think this will be really helpful in in understanding how another group would respond to this understanding of the passage itself. And then by the end of this, I think you'll have a pretty good understanding of of why people land where they land and what they hold to within the specific passage. So anyways, Revelation 21 to 8. Uh, John writes, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient servant, serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released uh, from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. So this is the passage that we're going to be dealing with, and this debate really revolves around that thousand years um, and when Christ is, when Christ returns. But what what is that thousand years, and when is Christ returning? Uh, a major reason, just before I explain the views briefly, a major reason why people disagree on this and conservative evangelicals disagree on this is because the process of concluding on this passage it includes issues of interpretation related to individual passages so we're dealing with individual passages and how do we understand them how do we interpret them and then we're dealing with integrative questions about the relationship between the various passages so we're dealing with um, not only difficult passages or passages that are difficult to interpret in and of themselves, but then we're asking the question, how does this relate to this passage? How do these interpretations fit together? Do they fit together? Can they fit together? If they do, how? Those are, so those are the questions that we're dealing with. And the, the reason why, uh, the, basically this results in, 
in complexity. It's not simple. And it leaves a lot of room for differences. So if I disagree on just this passage, that's going to affect how I dis- how I integrate them with other passages. And that's just uh, that's just the reality of of this debate. But the issue, as I said before briefly, um, we're really dealing with Revelation 20 and, and whether it teaches that there will be a future intermediate earthly kingdom over which Christ rules. Uh, but like I said, there are other factors at play. But anyways, the three major camps that individuals fall into uh, are premillennial, premillennialists, Postmillennialists and amillennialists. Premillennialists, they argue that Christ will come again before, this is important, he comes again before that thousand years, uh, that, uh, before a literal and physical millennial kingdom where Christ reigns on the earth. So like I said, premillennialists are generally, you see the book is prophetic primarily prophetic and they read it in a more literal manner if the the section doesn't give us a reason give a premillennialist a reason to interpret it otherwise they will take it to be a literal thousand years though not all premillennialists will agree with that but they will say christ returns before because they see it more as chronological the book is more chronological and uh they see Christ as reigning physically with his people on the earth in an intermediate millennial kingdom for a period of time, generally understood as a thousand years, but not always. Premillennialists do disagree on numbers sometimes. Anyways, another group, the postmillennialists, uh, they argue that the, the Lord's glorious return occurs after, after the millennium. Um, but they don't view the millennium as a literal 1,000 years. They view the millennium as this this uh, almost uh, utopian. It's not it's not utopian, but this this great period of success uh, that the gospel uh, that the gospel produces. Um, in the world around us, that's kind of the millennial era. Is um, this this success of the gospel that produces uh, improvements in culture and society and conversions to such an extent that the majority, the vast majority of the world's population becomes converted. Um, so. This present age that we're in, the church age, could be considered the millennial reign of Christ. And that's basically because they see Christ, when he died on the cross and rose again from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of God, he is reigning. And then on top of that, he is reigning, like how it says in our passage, believers will reign with Christ. He is reigning with believers or believers are reigning with him. Uh, but they're reigning with him in this world through the success of the gospel uh, as it produces its results. And it's fascinating. So anyways, the main point I want to get across for this is Christ returns 
after an era of millennial conditions where there's a ton of success. The last group uh, on millennialists, they also believe that there won't be a future millennial kingdom, right? Like uh, post-millennialists were in the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, they agree with this, and that the present church age represents the intermediate kingdom. Same page with post-millennialists. But where they really differ uh, from post-millennialists is that uh, they have different expectations for the progress uh, of the gospel and, and living conditions in the present world. Um, millennials, they don't anticipate as drastic of an amount of victory in converting the nations and a resulting improvement in societies and cultures, but they see the church as being delivered um, throughout the ages from the pressures and persecutions of a fallen world. Uh, when Jesus returns, rather than expecting a gradual and certain victory leading up to Christ's return. Um, so I, I, I probably should say that another way. So when Christ returns, the church is delivered from pressures and persecutions that it's been experiencing throughout the church age, the millennial age. Uh, so Christ returns, I guess, technically after, but really there is no millennium in their in their view. Um, in other words, uh, millennial amillennialists they don't see a lot of victory in this present age, like postmillennialists would. So that's a brief, very very brief introduction to these to these views. Um, but I, I want you to see that I mean you can probably see it already. In the way that you'd view the, or, or in the way that you'd interpret this passage, it could affect the way that you live today. At, at the very least, in expectations for the world today, that's a pretty major difference. And um, seeing the reality of the way things are, uh, whether or not that would fit within your framework of eschatology, the study of the last things, um, these things matter is kind of what I'm trying to say. And what, what can you fall into matters. Uh, we shouldn't be harsh with those that we disagree with, but I mean, I think we should land. I think it's important to lean, at least lean strongly towards a position. Um, yeah, it's it's an important topic to think through, and I, I hope that you'll join me in the other videos. Because honestly, the other ones I think are going to be a lot more fun than this one. This one is kind of setting the groundwork for us to move on in the uh, in the in, in being able to even play the game of understanding the other views. Because I'm going to use a lot of this terminology. Uh, as I as I explain the other positions, uh, so I hope that you'll join me. And this will also really it'll help supplement um, the teaching that Pastor Chuck's doing on Revelation. It'll help you understand a lot of his approach. This video specifically um, will probably help you understand a little bit more of his approach to Revelation. The churches too. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this, and I'll see you in the other videos.